to be here and to, to see you folks again. Uh, like David mentioned, last evening we were talking about uh, God's plan for the home and that it's God's plan that we live out the Christian life in our homes and that that is so important because if it's not happening there, then we're a hypocrite everywhere else. And I also mentioned last evening that as we as parents, uh, when God gives into our homes a little child, a never-dying soul, that something deep within us should tremble, that God, Almighty God, has entrusted us with this never-dying soul that's going to spend eternity somewhere. And this morning we want to look at... uh, small children and how we teach them God's ways. Now I realize in a group like this there's people here that probably don't have children. There's people here that do not have a husband, do not have a wife. And I want to challenge you that you have a part to play and you can have a huge impact on little children, whether it's nieces or nephews or or children of friends or whatever. You can have a huge impact even though God has not given a child to you personally. I spent more years single than married. And so I, at this point, know what I'm talking about. I titled the message this morning. I I meant that not into the subject matter. I have a whole lot to learn about this subject matter. I meant that into... Uh, single people can have an impact. That's what I was referring to there. (laughs) Don't misunderstand me. I entitled the message this morning, This is Serious and We're Running Out of Time. I have a question for you. How many of you here have gone through premarital counseling? Raise your hand. You had premarital counseling, okay? How many of you here this morning have taught premarital counseling. Okay, there's, there's a few. Uh, I would like to suggest this morning that, that every parent here is teaching premarital counseling. And every one of us has gone through premarital counseling, whether we realize it or not. The home that you and I grew up in has a far greater impact on what kind of a marriage and what kind of a home we're going to have than those few little sessions that we have with the pastor before we get married. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but what I am saying, that as parents, we are preparing our children for the kind of home they're going to have, and that is a far greater, far, much more far-reaching responsibility than what the preacher has with those few sessions before a couple gets married. The home we grew up in, the way life was lived there, becomes the normal in, in our minds. You know, what are the things that daddy's responsible for? What are mama's jobs? What's good music? What's a reasonable schedule? Uh, We have some homes in Gladys that 
if I need to know something and I want to call them, uh, I look at the clock. And if it's 8 o'clock, I might get them out of bed. If it's 9 o'clock, I'm pretty sure I will. Uh, There's other homes I can look at the clock, and if it's any time before midnight, I'm good. I can call them. They're up. I know they're up. (laughs) I know they're not in bed. (laughs) So we have norms that we're putting in place in our homes, and our children are growing up. Now, if the 8 o'clock bedtime young lady marries the 12 o'clock bedtime young man, they're going to have to find a new normal because they grew up with two very different normals. That's what we're talking about here this morning, that we are putting things in place that become normal in, in our children's minds. Yes, we know that some families are close-knit and that some families' relationships are pretty distant and, and they're just not very good. However, the home we grew up in is our point of reference. If I grew up in a home that, that has a lot of problems, I know there are homes that, that are better, but that's, that's been my, I'm not saying that's been my experience, but if that would have been my experience, uh, I might get married and have a better home than my parents did and think I'm doing pretty good. My wife may think, we're, we're falling far short of where we ought to be. So, you know, the home we grew up in is, is our point of reference. You know, the goal for us as parents is to work ourselves out of a job, to make ourselves unnecessary in our children's lives. The first time I heard that, that startled me. What in the world is this fellow saying? But that's exactly our job. You know, we realize, or hopefully we realize, that if we live a normal lifespan, our children are going to live far beyond our years. And we're preparing them for that time when we're no longer around. They have to be ready to face what God has for them without mom and dad. We have this this window of influence into their lives. And and that that window of influence becomes minimal uh, long before our life comes to an end. The the window of influence is is relatively short before there's influences coming from other places and, and they move on in life and make decisions for their own. So the input, input that, that, uh, that we put into their lives, for good or for bad, is, is far-reaching, not only in their life, but it also affects future generations. And eventually, it affects eternity for these little children that God has entrusted to us. So that's why I chose the title. This is serious. And we're running out of time. Time is short. So therefore, as parents, we want to equip our children with the tools and the principles, the faith in God that will enable them to face life, to make decisions, to find their way through life into the presence of Jesus for eternity. 
That's our job. I want to stop here and make it clear that uh, that I'm aware I am not a perfect husband. We do not have a perfect home, and some of you know our home a bit. Uh, none of you know our home very well. Uh, my wife and my children could give you many examples of where I fall short. They could give you the Lancaster County accent and everything and tell you exactly uh, how Rich is not the perfect father, not the perfect husband. We're learning. If we had uh, our family to raise over, our, our children are 18 to 25, two boys and two girls. If we could start over, there's some things we would do different. And uh, a number of years ago, I was, I was preaching to our congregation at home, and I told them this, that I finally came to the conclusion that if I'm going to wait till I have it figured out, I will never preach on child training because I'm never going to get it all figured out. And so I might as well just start and share what I think God is teaching us and share a few things that I feel I've learned and mistakes I've made, and we might as well go from there. Because if I'm going to wait till I get it all together, you're never going to hear it. And so that's, that's how it is for us. So this morning, I'd like to look at five things that we as parents want our children to understand before we no longer have influence over them. Now, hopefully, we have influence over them as long as we live, but it becomes quite minimal as they become adults and move on through life. Number one, we want our children to understand God-given authority is to be respected. We want our children to understand that God-given authority is to be respected. You know, Scripture is clear that God has an authority structure. Parents, masters, government, church leaders. We read in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3.22, we were reading in Colossians last evening. Servants, obey in all things your masters. Romans 13.1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Hebrews 13.17, obey them that have the rule over you. In that passage, it's talking about church leaders. Now, there's something I'm going to repeat a number of times here this morning, and, and I'm happy to see the amount of, of young families here this morning. And this is what I want you to get. It starts at home, in small ways, at a young age. <clears throat> too often we as parents think they're too little to understand. We've got to wait till they can understand what we're trying to say. And... By the time we think it's time to really get serious about this, the, the patterns of behavior have, have found a groove already, and, and it becomes much more difficult than if we would have started younger. We're talking about authority. Our children need to learn to take no for an answer. No more cookies. 
And that should be the end of the story. No swimming today. You know, our children whine and beg and nag just as much as we have taught them is worth their time. And that's exactly how it works. They whine and beg and nag us just as much as we have taught them is worth their time. If they know that no means no, they stop. If they think there's a sliver of a chance that I can change that no to a yes, they just beg and nag until they discover that it can. It can. And so we're teaching them the next time that, you know, just keep on and eventually that no becomes a yes. Our children need to learn prompt obedience, simple things. Come to the table. It's time to eat. Pick up the toys. It's time to go to bed. Mow the lawn. Wash the van. Weed the garden. These just simple things in life. They need to learn to be thankful and not complain. You know, there's one thing that, that I feel pretty strongly about and, and uh, did quite early in, in our home. You know, fathers, we, we sit down to the table to eat a meal. Our wife has already spent hours, maybe, at least a lot of time, Preparing this meal, we sit down, we bow our heads, we thank the Lord for the meal, and then the complaining starts. I don't like that. I don't want to eat that. Fathers, don't do it yourself and don't allow your children to do it. Thankful children are respectful children. And there's most of our children have spent probably not more than once or twice on their bed while the rest of us ate because they complained about the food. And that pretty much took care of it. They realized that, hey, if I'm going to complain, I'm going to go without. And they learned very quickly that we don't complain about food. And you may say that's harsh, but I don't think any of my children today feel like that has been harsh. They're glad that they were taught to be thankful for food. I think as soon as our children can talk, they should thank Mama for the meal, for the food that she prepared for them. It's a nice, for our, we didn't, we weren't very formal family, this being excused from the table, that's fine if that's the way you do at your house. At our house, thanking Mama for the meal was their ticket to going on with life and playing or whatever. It helps if we involve our children in the preparation of the meal. They know what what amount of work went into this and they know a bit what it takes to put a meal together. They can learn that at a young age. And I think that helps them to be thankful for the food that, that we put before them. It's a blessing when it becomes normal for one of the children to get a Hershey bar wherever at school or Sunday school or wherever they come by a Hershey bar, they bring it home, they cut it into six equal pieces and pass it out to the rest of the family. That's a blessing when we see that happening in our children's lives. It's a blessing when they uh, 
thank us for, for reading a story, for studying a final with them, or helping them with a project. Thankful children are respectful children. School is an excellent opportunity for our children to learn authority outside the home. And you have a school here, and, and if you have a normal school, you know, there's, there's things to learn about respect for authority in the school. Uh, there's a situation I was aware of some years ago. There was a, a school student that uh, was brilliant, did his work very, very quickly, but the teacher couldn't read his handwriting. And the teacher had a discussion with the parents and said, this young fella needs to slow down. He needs to write more carefully. And then we can talk about uh, moving through school more quickly and those kind of things. But first, he needs to slow down and write so that I can read his writing. Well, the parents, for whatever reason, decided not to, to back up the teacher. You fast forward five, six, eight years, and I was talking to this father, and he said, I don't know what to do. My son has a messy bedroom. It's messy from one end to the other. There's clothes all over the floor. His bedroom's a disaster. And I probably should have, but I didn't. I probably should have said, you know, had you supported the teacher back there and made him clean up his handwriting, his bedroom would probably look different today. And I think that it probably would have. Parents, if your teacher has a problem with one of your children, don't second-guess the teacher. Join in the discussion. Be a part of the solution. Help that child to learn respect. When we take our children's side against the teacher, we are not only making life difficult for the teacher, we are raising a handicapped child, a child that will have conflict with youth leaders, with Bible school principals, with the boss at work, the leaders at church, and it will affect their marriage if they do not learn to respect authority at home. Some years ago, uh, one of our children came home and said, the teacher punished me for something I didn't do. And I listened to the story, and it, it sounded credible. And I had a choice. I could have talked to the teacher, and maybe I should have, and said, hey, what's going on here? You know, I don't like you punishing my child for something they didn't do, and I don't want that to happen again. And maybe there would have been a place to join in a discussion like that. But I decided that uh, I had high respect for this teacher. I, was, I went to my son and I said, well, I said, do you think the teacher intentionally punished you for something you didn't do? No, no, he said he didn't think so. I said, well, you got to realize that teachers don't always get it right. Your parents don't always get it right. You know, we make mistakes. That's part of life. And we must realize that, and we must go on in spite of mistakes. Don't hold it against your teacher. Just go on and be a good boy, and, and everything will work out. Now, I'm not saying that 
there would have been other right ways to handle that situation. But remember, we're trying to make ourselves unnecessary in our children's lives. Sometime that little boy will grow up and he'll be a man. And his boss won't treat him right. His boss will falsely accuse him. And I want to prepare him for that day when I'm not there. And I'm not maybe even living. And he knows how to respect authority in spite of being uh, falsely accused. It is so much better if our children can learn at a young age to respect authority. That respect will go with them throughout life into many, many situations that, that we don't even know they will face today. And furthermore, it paves the way for them to respect God and the things that God has for them in life. To accept from him, to learn to obey him, to thank Jesus for life as it comes, whether it's good or bad. So respect for authority is so very important for our children to learn. Number two, we want our children to understand the connection between choices and consequences. This is very serious, and I, I want you to understand that this is so important. The connection between choices and consequences. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 2 Thessalonians 3.10 For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. You know, we learned at a very young age that if you touch something hot, it hurts your fingers. And we don't remember how young we were when we learned that. We were so little. We learned that if you touch something sharp, that there's red stuff runs out, and, and that's not good. You don't want that to happen. We learned that at a young age. We helped our parents plant garden. And over in this section of the garden, we put pea seeds. And a number of weeks later, peas came up. Over in this section, we planted corn seeds. And then corn came up. Simple, elementary. But somehow when we become adults, somehow this gets a little more fuzzy. And it's not so clear that choices have consequences. As parents, sometimes we think that stepping in and shielding our children from the consequences of their choices is love. It's compassion. It's being a good parent. To cushion that painful reality that they chose these consequences, I feel is a mistake. You know, when little Jack eats his candy in two seconds and Jill makes hers last for 30 minutes, what do we do? Do we have compassion on Jack and give him some more? 
You know, he chose. He chose to put it down. She chose to lick it and, you know, whatever. You know, for 30 minutes. It's a choice. It's a consequence. You know, we tell little Johnny, you know, you need to mow the lawn today. And the day goes on and on and on, and the lawn isn't mowed. And, and the friends call up and say, hey, we're going swimming. You want to go with us? So what do you do? Do you say, well, you can mow the lawn tomorrow. Well, maybe that's okay sometimes. But what I'm saying is these are opportunities to teach our children that choices have consequences. There would be nothing wrong with saying, hey, Johnny, you had all day to mow the lawn, and here it is, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you haven't started, and it's going to take you two hours. Uh, You just better get out there and mow the lawn. Maybe you can go swimming tomorrow or the next day or the next time the friends call. But you chose not to get out there and get it done. You had plenty of time, and you better just go mow the lawn today. Choices have consequences. You know, candy and swimming can be all important at that age, but they pale in comparison to the consequences that are down the road for these little boys and little girls where choices have such more far-reaching effects and eventually affect their eternal life. So we should not pass up these opportunities at home in small ways at a young age to teach our children the connection. You choose this, and here is the consequence for for that choice. Or here's the consequence, think back to the choice that brought you here. As parents, let's pay attention. Let's look for those opportunities and take them to help our children to understand choices have consequences. And later on in life, when they are adults and they're making big choices, that have far-reaching consequences that they will already have in place that this choice is going to have a consequence. This is serious, and we're running out of time. Number three, we want our children to understand that we will always love them. No matter how miserably they fail or how badly they embarrass us or how deeply they hurt us, We want it riveted in their minds that daddy still loves me. I just know he does. And mama loves me, and there's no doubt in my mind. Now, I use the word rivet. I don't know if some of you guys are probably mechanics or so forth. You know, you can nail stuff together, but you can pull a nail out. You can screw stuff together. You can back a screw out. You can bolt stuff together. You can always take the nut off if it's not rusted too badly, or you can do something but rivets are, are kind of a pain to, to take apart. If it's riveted together, uh, it's more permanent. Now, if it's an aluminum rivet, you can drill it out, and there's things to do. But, but there's some steel rivets that are just near impossible to get out unless you use a torch or something. We want it riveted in our children's minds that we love them no matter what. So how can we do this as parents? How can we help our children to understand that we will love them? I would say it happens at home in small ways at a young age. This is something that happens in all our homes. We're sitting around the table and the water spills. 
There's water everywhere. Uh, how do we respond? When children drop a plate and it breaks, or they tear their clothing, when these little things happen and we make a big deal out of it, it's a crime, it should have never happened, that is not communicating to our children that we will love them no matter what happens, no matter what they do or, or how they fail, we will love them. When these little things happen, we should respond with love and concern and understanding. When they get older and there's a dent in the car or a broken window, and we treat these things as unpardonable sins, that's not communicating that I will love you no matter what happens. These are opportunities to, to rivet in our children's minds that no matter what happens, we're going to love you. And let's look at those opportunities. You know, we can have tunnel vision when... when uh, these things happen. Uh, a good example of tunnel vision, I don't know if some of you remember, this is many years ago, I think it was up at Catlett, there was uh, a fire truck was going to a fire, and they were having trouble locating the place, and, and then they saw it. There's the fire, and they were going to that fire. They're going to put that fire out, and they, they went right in front of a train. The train hit the fire truck. There was a number of firemen killed. And they had tunnel vision. They were concentrated on that fire. I'm putting that fire out. And they were not paying attention to what was going on around them. And we can be that way as parents. You spilled the milk. It's a mess. And we're, we're not thinking of the bigger picture. I'm, I'm doing something to this child's spirit that's going to be far-reaching. Let's not get tunnel vision. Let's think about what we're doing to this child and how it's going to impact them in the future. There's a young lady from, from another community, not from Gladys, that uh, was getting married to a fine young man, and I think he's, he's a very uh, good husband and father. But he grew up with an angry father. And when they were getting ready for their wedding, he borrowed a truck and, and was backing it up to his, his girlfriend's house and uh, backed into the downspout and knocked it off the house. And he was beside himself with fear. And, you know, the, the father of this bride-to-be was not at home. And she assured him, it'll be fine. Daddy will understand. He'll put it back up. It's not a problem. In his mind, that was impossible. The dad he grew up with, this was terrible, and he was going to hear about this for months, and it was a big deal. And for him to understand that daddy will understand, daddy will fix it, it's okay. In his mind, that wasn't possible, because he never experienced that. That's what we're talking about here this morning. The way we respond to situations rivets in our children's mind how big a deal it is when, when they fail. We want them to understand that we care and that we really understand what they're feeling and what they're going through when they fail. Husbands, the way we relate to our wives can help our children to understand that we will love them. If they see us loving our wife in spite of failures or mistakes that she made, that communicates to them that they too 
will be loved when they fail. Time, time, time communicates love to our children. Fathers, don't let the business get too big, the schedule get too full. You know, you can't take that business with you to eternity, and hopefully you can, your children. And sometimes you can't do both, have a big business and take your children to eternity. Some, some men can handle it, but don't assume you're one of those men. Think seriously about eternity for your children. Over a period of years, all these childhood experiences become a tightly woven fabric of trust that gives our children security and assurance that, yes, indeed, Mama and Daddy will always love me. Or these experiences become a tattered, worthless blanket that only serves to painfully remind our children that Daddy really doesn't love me and Mama really doesn't care. Again, we're preparing our children to understand that God loves them when they fail. And that's our our goal as parents, to prepare them to relate to a God that really does love them and wants them to succeed in spite of the fact of failures. Number four, we want our children to learn to live the golden rule as a way of life. Matthew 7, 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. To paraphrase that a bit, I would say this. We want our children to go through life looking for opportunities to do kind things for others that they would like to have done for them when they are in the shoes these other people are in. I hope this isn't sounding like a broken record, but this needs to start at home in small ways at a young age. Our children need to learn the golden rule is God's plan for relationships. They need to learn to share toys, to share candy. You know, our example can go a long way. A number of years ago, some of you maybe know Dan Beachy from from Life Ministries. We were serving on a board together, and we were traveling to a board meeting, and I was sharing with him a negative trait that one of our children were having, and his first question to me was, Rich, where did they learn it? And I stopped, and I thought, what is he saying? Is he suggesting that they learned it from me? You know? And it really caught me off guard. And the more I thought about that, you know, I need to stop and think. Of course, we all know our children have, they have uh, the ungodly nature that, that every child has, and so they don't have to learn things from us. They can, you know, come comes from the nature within. But it's good for us parents to stop and think, is there some area in my life where they see this pattern? And... They're picking it up there. That is a valid question. We should have a goal that our children will will learn to have a lifestyle of living the golden rule at school, at the workplace, 
and eventually in a home of their own if God has marriage in mind for them. The golden rule goes so far in so many situations that we get ourselves into if we just learn to treat other people the way we would like to be treated, it solves so many relationship issues. And if our children can learn that at home, at a young age, in small ways, it will serve them well. Number five, we want our children to understand that God rewards those that diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For that he cometh to for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Again, we can teach our children this at home in small ways, at a young age. Read Bible stories to your children. This is something my wife did very good at. She spent lots of time with books and reading to the children at a, at a young age. Read them Bible stories. Help them to, to see how Bible characters made choices from, from the beginning of life on. Uh, like Moses, at a very young age, grew up in, in a godly home, but had this, he was, he was the, the princess's son. And, and he was exposed to lots of, of influences there. But he chose. He chose to follow after God's people. And then show them the end of life. And how that affected the decisions Moses made. And how he, he died in the arms of God <coughs> later on in life. Joseph. You know. A young man. Turning his, his back on evil and. And serving the Lord through very difficult situations and how God blessed him. Help our children to understand that these people made decisions back here that got them over here into the end of life. And and how God rewarded them for those choices they made. Rewarding good behavior is just as important, if not more important, than punishing bad behavior. And this was something my wife had to teach me. I always thought, you know, good behavior is expected, bad behavior is punished. And where would you and I be today if God would deal with us that way? That good behavior is just expected, but if we do bad, we're going to get punished. God rewards good behavior. And we as parents should learn to do that too. It should be, our children should learn that if, if they do well, there's a reward for that. If they fail, we should understand, but punishment is in order and it must happen. But reward, reward for good behavior, for good choices, must, must be something that they understand and that they learn. We're preparing them for God dealing with them in life and that they understand that God will reward them. Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We want our children to understand that God opens and closes doors. He rewards us when we walk in his ways. 
Yes, in this life there's rewards, but the greatest reward is, is in eternity. A number of years ago, I called uh, Gerald Good, and I told him, we want someone to come and talk to our fathers and challenge our fathers to be godly men. I said, do you have anyone in your congregation that could come and speak to us, or, or maybe you would come? And, and he thought a bit, and he said, you, you want Steve Williams to come. And so Steve came up to, to our, uh, our group of men and, and uh, spoke, and he said something that night that, that I have never forgotten. He said, we as parents fill water pots, but when that water turns to wine, that's something God did. We did not do that. And I don't know what your experiences here tonight are as parents. Some of us uh, have already kind of raised our children, and our children are uh, either a result of decisions we made or decisions they made, and sometimes it's not easy to tell which. But when our children choose to serve the Lord and they choose to walk in his ways, we don't pat ourselves on the back and say, good job, Rich, you did well. When a child chooses to serve the Lord, that's water turning to wine. And I did not do that. I might have put water in there, but when it turned to wine, that was the work of God in their heart and life. And I cannot, and I cannot take the credit for that. That's something God did. Parents, what are we establishing as normal in our homes? We have to be intentional about it. What are we establishing as normal in our homes? Are we working ourselves out of a job? Do we consciously do things that, with that in mind that someday I'm not going to be here and I want this son or this daughter to know how to handle these situations when I'm not around? If God has marriage in the future for our children, have we prepared them to face the challenges marriage will bring? Do our children respect authority? Do they understand the connection between choices and consequences and that their eternal destination is at stake? Do they have questions about our love for them? Do they really understand that we will love them no matter what? And that's backed up by how we respond when they fail. Do our children understand that the golden rule is God's standard for relationships? Do they see that coming out of our lives? Are they convinced that God has a reward for them if they walk in his ways? We want them to clearly understand that. If they walk in God's ways, he will reward them. And if they choose not to, eternal punishment is going to be their reward. This is serious, and we're running out of time as parents. Just a few weeks ago, our first child got married. Not our oldest child, but the first one of our children to get married. And now our influence on that child becomes quite minimal and it has been for some time already but 
it happens so quickly. And I realize you with, with little ones uh, think it can't be quick. There's nothing happens quick. Days are endless and the needs are almost overwhelming. But trust me, 15, 20 years down the road, you'll think too. It was so quick. It was so short. You have this window of influence. Take it serious because you're running out of time. Let's bow our heads for prayer.